What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Crowdmost Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Martinez, on a Thursday, December 12th, 2019, just a little bit under two weeks away from Christmas Day and a little bit under three weeks away from New Year's Day, which I am particularly excited about. I always get excited for the holiday season in general, but I'm really looking forward to New Year's uh, this year because it actually carries a little bit of weight. Like I said last week, we're moving into a new decade, which is kind of exciting for me. It's probably not very exciting for the general masses, but for me, because I'm pretty lame, looking forward to going into a new decade, the 2020s, the Roaring 20s 2.0. Pretty excited for it. I, that's just me. I, I can't wait. And by the way, we will have our top 10 moments of the decade of the 2010s. That will be in two weeks time. It will be the last episode of the year, uh, 2019, the last episode of the decade. And we'll have our, uh, our top 10 moments uh, of the decade in sports. And next week, uh, oh, in two weeks time also, we have the college football playoff. It's going to be a very, very busy crowd noise schedule over the next two weeks and really it's the episode two weeks from today we're going to have our picks for the college football playoff the new year six bowls uh, obviously we're going to have our top 10 moments of the decade probably going to have some basketball uh, stories as well from the previous day which would be uh, christmas day uh, from the christmas day games in the nba those will be tons of fun always some great games going on christmas that's a great tradition too um, it's always lots of fun for me just to watch basketball all day long it goes from like from 10 to 10 at night um just all day long non-stop basketball on christmas what more could you possibly want um so that's going to be lots of fun two weeks away from that but for today we have a fun episode planned as well no college football t- okay that's all every time i say we're not going to have a segment we do end up having a segment it's going to be very small I'm not going to be doing the college football playoff picks or like bowl picks just yet. I may, and this is a, it's probably not going to happen, but if anything, it'll be next week for sure. This is a guarantee we will have it on December the 26th. That's the day after Christmas, obviously. And we will have um, college football picks for that episode. I mean, guarantee because the playoff is on, let me see here in my calendar, that following Saturday, which is December the 28th. And we're not just we're not just going to ignore the college football playoff. It's just it's not here yet. So you got to be patient for it. Um in the meantime, we do have this Saturday. Tonight are the college football awards, so like the Bolitnikov, you know, player of the year, all that good stuff. And then this Saturday, we do have the Heisman Trophy ceremony which should be tons of fun. I expect Joe Burrow to win to win the award. I said this last week when, when picking four teams, or, or not necessarily picking, but just saying which four teams I think deserve to be in the playoff. I would give the nod to Joe Burrow over Justin Fields only because I think Joe Burrow is the engine of LSU. I think you've, if you take him off of that team, they're a, they're a much different football team. They're not in the playoff, certainly, because they drop at least one, if not two, games right without Joe Burrow. Justin Fields is a certified superstar, but Ohio State is such a great team. I think if you take Justin Fields off of that team, they're not as good. I don't even think they would be undefeated without Justin Fields, 
but they would still be a very good team, a potentially still a playoff team. And no, I, I love Justin Fields as much as the next guy. I think he's a superstar, but I just think the two scenarios are a little bit different. You have to take that into consideration. Though LSU is number one in the nation, so who knows? Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. I had Tua to winning. I had Tua winning the Heisman Trophy last year. That did not happen. So who knows? I may be wrong, but I feel like it should be Joe Burrow uh, for Heisman 2019. And then we will get into. Oh, here's your top six. We will kind of do a quick rundown of the college football playoff rankings the final one uh for the regular season we're only going to stick to the top six i think i just said that um because that's all that matters the top four teams and i want to show you guys uh the first two teams out that were left out of the playoff we'll start from one to six this week because you already know who's in the top four you you already know that this isn't breaking news i think it's more interesting to talk about the first two teams out rather than the top four teams because you already know who they are number one lsu they jump over Ohio State after beating Georgia uh, pretty handily in that SEC championship game. Really wasn't even competitive. Then Ohio State, number two, Clemson at number three. And then number four, lo and behold, here they are, Oklahoma. They got in. Somehow, some way, they got into the playoff. And I, I have no idea how they've done it. Everything that needed to happen for Oklahoma happened. And credit to them, they were able to take care of business. They beat Baylor. Uh, in Waco the first time. That was really the bigger win. And then they took care of business again against Baylor in the Big 12 title game. That game was actually very close. Went into overtime. Oklahoma took care of business, got that one final stop that they needed to get into the playoff. But I'm a little disappointed. I think Oklahoma, I mean, clearly not, I think Oklahoma is the least dominant team in the college football playoff. I don't know what really to expect from them going up against LSU. I think that'll be a very fun, exciting game to watch because obviously you have two of the best offenses in college football. So there's going to be a lot of scoring in that game. So it should be very fun to watch. But I don't know how much faith I put into Oklahoma going toe-to-toe with LSU after they just they beat the brakes off of Georgia. I mean, they just flat-out dominated that game for four quarters. And then, lo and behold, at number five, you have Georgia and then number six, Oregon. This was kind of a boring year when it came down to the wire. We had some pretty big upsets. We had some good teams, some good games across the season. And when I say this was a boring year, I really mean it came down to one boring Sunday because we had great games this college football regular season. There was, I mean, it seemed like almost every week we had a game that was essentially a play-in game for the playoffs. And LSU was in like five of them. They were in a bunch of those blockbuster games. They won every single one of them. But what I say, um, this was a pretty disappointing end to the season. This is why. There were no debates. There were no arguments at the end of the college football playoff rankings. There was no question of who's in. The only question was, where is Alabama going to be ranked? Who are the first two teams out? Because there are only four teams that are, un- that are either undefeated or have one loss, and they're all in the playoff. There was no one who got left out. There was no one who was an underdog or got shafted. There was no eye test. There was no strength of schedule. It was just the four teams that had one loss or were undefeated, and that being Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State, and LSU, the top three teams all being undefeated. Oklahoma, the only team who has one loss. And then right behind Oregon is Baylor. So what the committee is telling you, is the key to getting into the playoff is you can lose one. You can lose a game during the regular season, and that is it. 
you cannot afford to lose two games after that. Or excuse me, another game after that, bringing your total uh, losses to two games. As long as you have one loss, you're probably getting in. If you have one loss and you're a conference champion, you are getting into the playoff bottom line. And I will we'll never know what the what the debate would have been or what the committee's answer would have been if Utah had beaten Oregon in the Pac-12 title game. That would have made things much more interesting because we would have had that debate. Who we would have had that debate? Who is in? Who gets left out? Because you would have had two uh, one-loss conference champions because uh, Oregon took care of business and they handled Utah. I mean, that game really wasn't even too competitive. That, it was never really close. I think Utah at one point cut it to 10. Like, that's that's what it came down to. Like, they had to cut it to a two-possession game. I think that was the closest it ever got in the second half. And it, it was just a runaway train um, from there. And we'll, we'll never know. We'll never know if the committee was going to put in Oklahoma anyway. Um, but that's what we got. So I guess it, it, it really doesn't matter at that point. But I for, I, for one, am disappointed. Because I like, and I've said this in the past, I don't want to go to eight teams because then no one gets left out and it kind of takes away from the draw it takes away from the mystique of the college football playoff it's so exclusive and yet at this point or this season specifically it it feels like there was only four teams that were even eligible for the playoff you want to go to eight teams more than half the teams are going to have two losses or more if we're talking about this season, I don't like the idea of an 18 playoff at all. I like the exclusivity. I really do. And again, this year is kind of an outlier because it's the first time where we really don't have anyone who ha- who's been left out. The top four teams in the playoff all deserve to be in there. And they're the only four teams that deserve to be in there. Because again, they're the only four teams in the nation that are either that have one loss or less. Everyone after that has two or more. So uh, the committee, you can say they got it right. Sure, they did uh, by default. I mean, they really didn't. This didn't take much effort. It really didn't. I mean, I guess you can say there's some level of controversy. LSU jumping Ohio State. I'm not sure anyone really cares about that outside of maybe Columbus. But by the same token, I don't think I don't think the folks in Columbus are scared of Clemson and and vice versa for that matter. That's going to be a fantastic game. Uh, Ohio State and Clemson. I can't wait for that. So I think the committee did get it right in the sense that these are going to be exciting games. But as far as who is in, there was no work to be done. I mean, Oklahoma being the only one lost team left, being a conference champion, I mean, they were getting in. You're not even almost going to start to debate Georgia coming off of a loss should be in over Oklahoma. That was That's ridiculous. Um, but they did get it right in the sense of the seeding only because we're going to have two phenomenal games come December 28th for the New Year's Six, which not, it's just, this is another gripe I have. They call it the New Year's Six, and these games aren't even on New Year's Eve slash day. It's, on two, it's three days after Christmas. It's not New Year's. If it's the New Year's Six, they should have three, years game, three games on New Year's Eve and three games on New Year's Day. Is that not common sense? That's how they used to do it. When they started the New Year's Six in the first, I think, two years of the college football playoff, the New Year's Six games were the New Year's Six games. You had three games on New Year's Eve, three years on New Year's Day. I mean, excuse me, three games on New Year's Day. And it, it, that's how it should be. But again, I'm not in charge. Though I should be, but I'm not. So here we are. Those, but in the meantime, 
despite all that, we do get two phenomenal playoff games. They're going to be tons of fun to watch. I mean, these they couldn't have done it any better. I think you could have left Ohio State at number one despite LSU dismantling Georgia. I wouldn't have hated that if Ohio State was still number one, but I think the reason they did that was more because of the matchups that we're getting. You're going to get an insane, high-scoring, fast-paced game with LSU, Oklahoma, and then you're going to get a tough, physical, hard-fought game with Ohio State and Clemson and maybe two of the more well-rounded teams in the nation. They do everything great, do Ohio State and Clemson. So it's going to be tons of fun. I can't wait. I have no gripes really um, or at all. I don't have any gripes with who's in and with the seating whatsoever. I have a gripe with why is it the New Year's six games, but none of them are played on New Year's. The only ones that are played on New Year's actually, I think the Rose Bowl, obviously. And I think like the Sugar Bowl or something like that. I have the schedule. We'll bring it up next week. But I can tell you not all six games are being played on New Year's, uh, which is a travesty in my opinion. But there are your... Oh, and uh, our college football record for the regular season. The regular season is officially over. We will count the playoff games and potentially bowl games. I'll tell you what. We will pick the New Year's six games. Those will be the final games that we pick uh, for crowd noise this season. It will be the New Year's six games. But for the meantime, the regular season, we went two and one last week for conference for the conference championship uh, games. Uh, had Oregon, or excuse me, had Utah beating Oregon. That did not happen. Lost that one. Had Oklahoma over Baylor. Had LSU over over Georgia. We had a two and one winning week last week. But more importantly than that. Or more important than that, we finished the season, the regular season, 35-9. and nine. We didn't even get to double-digit losses over the regular season. I mean, that is just absurd. 35-9 in college football. There's a reason they call me the psychic, okay? I, I am the man, okay? And we're probably going to get to double digits um, for the New Year's Six games. But for the course of the regular season, we didn't have double-digit losses. How many weeks of college football have we been picking games that we haven't even gotten to 10 losses yet? And we're probably going to break that now that we're talking all this trash. But, I mean, for the regular season, that is no small feat. So, I mean, kudos all around. Mostly to me, because I'm the one who did the picks. But kudos to you as well for listening to me make those uh, ingenious picks. Those are your... um, Or not those are. We didn't make any picks. But we will have the New Year's Six games... uh, We'll probably do those next week, maybe. If not next week, then absolutely for sure, 110%. Um, the last episode of the year, that'd be the 26th. But in the meantime, we do have picks in the NFL. And might I say, as if this this whole um, parade of patting myself on the back hasn't gone on enough, we had, I think it may be the first time this season. It's been a rough year in the NFL picking games, but... There is light at the end of the tunnel. We are finishing the season pretty strong, if I do say so myself. I believe it is the first 3-0 week we've had in the NFL, if not the second. If it's not the first, then it's only the second. We haven't had many 3-0 weeks in the NFL. We had a string of like six or seven weeks in a row in college football going 3-0, and that's how we had... um, that's how we've gotten to our 35-9 and record, our record in the NFL. And get ready for this. We have a 23-19, a 
Record in the NFL picking games this year. We are 23 and 19, well over 500 now. It took us, I don't know, this is week 14, I believe, or week 15. It's taking a very long time to get over 500 and get over the hump. For weeks, we were 500, then go below, then we get over 500, then we'd have like an 0 3 week, get back under. We're finally over and we're pretty comfortable. Okay, we are four games over 500. I could miss every single game this week and we will still be over 500 next week. It's a great place to be. And we're going to look to do the opposite. We want to go 3-0 and again. We want to end the season going, I think it would be like 9-0, and like on a nine-game win streak. That's what I'm looking to do here. So we get started uh, with tonight's game. And it looks like we're going to have a pretty good chance of getting another 3-0. and At least we're going to have a good chance to start off with a win. Because tonight's Thursday night game, gimme, Jets on the road against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, need I say more? I mean, the Ravens are probably the most dominant team in the National Football League, and they get to play the New York Football Jets. Now, I love Sam Darnold more than I love most people in my life, I will admit that, but I mean, he, he can only do so much. The Raven, I mean, all jokes aside, the Ravens, I mean, they're, they're studs, man. They're, they're not losing this game tonight. It would have to be really, really ugly. And I can only imagine what the stories are going to be like tomorrow morning if the Ravens were to lose this game at home. And then you got to start to think, how good are the Jets? Like, they dismantled the Cowboys at home. And even though that might not be a very impressive win when it's all said and done, but they dismantled the Cowboys who were they, they were supposed to lose to. Their record currently is, I'm going to pull it up for you, 5-8. and eight. So they have the chance to finish 500. I mean, they're not as bad as, as you think. They're 5-8 and eight right now. They could be much worse. Of course, it's not where you want to be. But if we're talking about expectations for the New York Jets, I think we expect them to be more or even lower than this. Maybe 3-10, and 10, like way further back than where they are. Maybe two or three games worth. Uh, if they were to beat the Ravens, which they're not going to, um, they'd go to six and eight, potentially finish eight and eight. I think that's pretty respectable. And people were calling for Adam Gase's job. It's only his first season, and he has a chance to finish uh, eight and eight. He won't, but I mean, he has the opportunity to finish five hundred. I mean, that's actually pretty impressive considering what he's working with. Uh, you know, with the Jets, had to turn the whole season around. But they're going to lose tonight anyway, so who cares? And at, at that point, still, they have a chance to finish seven and nine which I think is still pretty respectable for the Jets. If you finish 7-9, and nine, if you're the Jets, I mean, that's really not a terrible place to be. Uh, they will lose tonight, though. I will bet my little toe. Actually, no, I won't do that because I think, I think like your little toe is your most important toe. I don't know that for a fact. I, I vaguely remember reading that somewhere. I think you're the smallest toe on your foot. Like, if you lose that, you can't walk. Like, I think it's more important than your big toe. I don't know where I saw that or why I remember that, but I vaguely remember, like, your, your little pinky toe. Like, if you don't have that, you're, you're in a wheelchair. Like, you're just not walking again. You'll have to look that up for me. I think that's the case. So I actually will not bet my pinky toe because I kind of like walking. And if the Jets were somehow miraculously able to pull off this, this upset... It's not worth me never walking again. So I actually I take that bet off the table immediately. Uh, our next game. That's some pretty big games here, actually. The next two games. Uh, Ravens. Excuse me. Not Ravens. Rams on the road. Jerry World against Cowboys. 
Uh, the Cowboys have now lost three in a row. They so graciously lost in, against Chicago last week uh, as I picked them to do so. So they helped. Uh, they had a very big hand last week in our 3-0 and week. I really appreciate that. They're going to lose again, okay? I'm telling you right now. And Dak Prescott, as much as, you know, I've, I've been all in on Dak Prescott. I'm not bailing on Dak. I am out on the Cowboys, okay? I am I'm out. They're done. If they don't, even if they win this week, excuse me, next week they go on the road to play Philly, which is going to be the divisional championship game, and Dallas has a very long history of not winning divisional championship games. And especially those are all at home. I think they went 3 years in a row where they played the Giants, Washington, and the Eagles all at home, all in week 17 all with a playoff berth on the line, and they lost three straight years. So if it comes down to next week, which it's going to, um, I'm I probably not going to pick them to win that game in Philly. Okay, um, And especially, I don't think they're going to win this week. I, Dak Prescott, okay, getting back to him. He says they want to mirror um, the 07 Giants. Was the 08 Giants. You know, the Giants that got into the playoffs as a wild card team, they beat the undefeated Patriots. First off, hold your horses, pump your brakes. Those Giants completed one of the greatest, I mean, if not the greatest, postseason run in the history of the game. And in fact, they did because they were a wild card team. They were the last team into the playoffs. But it's not just so much that they won the Super Bowl, it's who did they beat? They beat the 18-0 New England Patriots. There was the helmet catch. I mean, I think that was the greatest single play in NFL history. Don't even begin to compare yourself to that Giants team. It doesn't make any sense. I get where he's coming from. He's trying to you know, rally the troops. They're about as down as they possibly could be this season. They've lost three straight. Uh, their playoff birds are slipping out of their hands. Their coach is like... He's, he's face down in the guillotine. Jerry Jones is just ready to pull the rope. Um, and he's trying to rally the troops. I respect that. It's not going to work. Because, I mean, you're playing the Rams who just beat the Seahawks and actually beat down the Seahawks on Sunday night, uh, this previous Sunday night. They are fighting for a playoff berth. You're not playing Miami, Cleveland. I mean, someone who's just out of it and they're just trying to be respectable. Um uh, you're playing a team who is fighting for their playoff lives are the LA Rams. They're, they're not going to give Dallas any window of opportunity. They can't afford to. The Rams have to win out to have any chance of getting into the playoffs because they're not winning their division. That I can guarantee you. Their only chance is by getting into the wild card, and the wild card in the NFC is stacked. Beginning with that second-place team in the NFC West being either the Seahawks or the 49ers. And then you have, I think currently it's the Vikings are in that second wild card spot. Yes, it is. And so the Rams are chasing those two teams. I don't see it happening this week. I think Jason Garrett really starts to feel... And I, I, from what I've seen, he's, he's, he has and he is feeling the pressure. He has, starting to let, he has started to let the rumors get to him. Because it seems like there's just so much pressing from the Cowboys and the play calling in the gameplay like they're just they're trying too hard they're playing like their lives are on the line which they are but it, they're playing with the style of they're trying so hard and yet they're 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 making mistakes they're not playing with their backs against the wall and just playing like they have nothing to lose they're playing like they have 
everything to lose, and they're kind of adding more pressure to themselves than what they already have. Um, and I think Jason Garrett has fallen victim to that. I think Sean McVay is nowhere near the level of a hot seat uh, as Jason Garrett is. Even if they miss the playoffs, they're not firing Sean McVay. If the Cowboys don't win the Super Bowl, Jason Garrett is fired. I'm taking the Rams this week against the Cowboys. Making four straight, and then you have to go on the road to Philly just to, I mean, fight for your lives. It's, it's going to get pretty ugly in Dallas. And finally, Sunday night, we have the Buffalo Bills, who I'm a very big fan of, uh, in Pittsburgh against the Steelers. This is a pretty interesting game. While um, the Steelers have had, I mean, hellacious injuries to their roster this year. They've lost Ben Roethlisberger. They bench Mason Rudolph. They've been without Juju Smith-Schuster. They've been without James Conner. I think Jalen Samuels is questionable this week. They are 8-5. and five. The Pittsburgh Steelers are a playoff team right now. I mean, you can't applaud the Steelers and Mike Tomlin enough for the the job that they've been able to do. I mean, it's been a patchwork job all season long, trying to replace guys on the fly with all the injuries. Their defense has been the savior, the backbone of this team. I think they'll lose this week. I, I have a tendency to do that. I'll gas up a whole team, and then I'll pick them to lose. I mean, because the Bills are for real. I mean, they are, I would say, maybe the last team in Super Bowl contention. Like, you have your list of teams... 49ers, Saints, Ravens, throw the Patriots in there, sure. Um, and I'm doing this off the top of my head, so if I miss somebody, don't don't uh, write in. And I would throw the Bills in as the very last team. I'm sure I'm missing another team or two uh, in that conversation. The Seahawks, sure. The Bills would be the last team that I put into that contender list. Like the, I like the Bills a whole lot. The problem with them, though, is... They're not going to have games at home in the postseason because they play in the same division as the Patriots. They do have a chance mathematically to catch the Patriots. I don't know if it'll happen because that would be, I mean, an all-time meltdown in New England if they were able to give up this uh, divisional lead. But I like the Bills a lot. They are a very good team. I would Legitimately, I think they are still a Super Bowl contender, the last team in. Do I think they'll win it? No, not necessarily. I'm not picking them to win the Super Bowl right now, but I do think they are in that list of teams who you have to strongly consider as a title contender. And the Steelers, I mean, they've done a fantastic job, as I just said. I mean, just keeping the ship afloat. And they're in the playoffs currently. I think the Bills are just just too much for them. I, I don't think they can come up with enough magic to beat the Bills this week. But it should be an interesting game. Uh, very defensive. The Steelers are very good on defense, as I said uh, previously. But I mean, again, but the Bills are fully healthy and they are hungry. I I expect the Bills to win this week. So there are your NFL picks for the week. And for the first time in a long time, we do have some ads. Something that's very important to me: um, pets. I have two dogs. I love them with more than my own life. Um, and so we have this week an ad for Shelter Pets. It was a big week this week in Major League Baseball. It was the winter meetings. And free agency this year is incomparable uh, to last year in terms of speed in which free agents were signed. Last year we were going into spring training and guys were still unsigned. Like the season was getting ready to start and guys were still free agents, still weren't on a roster. This year that is not the case. We had guys before, I mean, 
the three gems, the three diamonds, the S-tier players were all gone before the winter meetings even finished. Uh, we will get to that in just a second. We had uh, Garrett Cole signed with the New York Yankees. Breaking news, I guess. I'm sure you've already heard about that, <laughs> definitely. Uh, Anthony Rendon just last night signed with the Anaheim Angels. And Steven Strasburg agrees to re-sign with the Washington Nationals. Now, so that after that, and I guess Blake, Blake Trine and one of the premier uh, relievers, I guess he signs with the Dodgers, you know, whatever. Um, so now that leaves us with the trade market because the premier free agents, they're, they're all gone. And then you have Josh Donaldson still out there. At the time of this recording, he is still a free agent. And at the time of this recording, we have these guys here that are all in the trade market and are being uh, included in trade talks. Uh, Mookie Betts, superstar, Francisco Lindor, Josh Hader, and Nolan Arenado. I mean, all those guys are probably the best at their respective positions, each one of them, and they're all included in trade talks. The Dodgers and the Yankees are included in trade talks with pretty much every single one of those guys. First, we want to talk about the free agents, and then we'll get to the guys in the trade market and where I would like to see them all land. Because sometimes, and again, we've said, I don't know how many times I've said this on the show, if I were in charge of more things, I think the world would be a much better place. And it seems like some of these franchises don't really know what direction they want to go in. That's where I come in and I tell you which way they should be uh, moving towards. First, let's talk about Strasburg to the Nationals because I think that's the least impactful. They lose Rendon, but they're able to hang on to Strasburg. They do maintain that three-headed monster of a rotation with Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin, and even a four-headed monster with Anibal Sanchez, as we saw last year with the butterfly changeup. I mean, it was the reason why they won the World Series because they had the best starting rotation in the game and no one could touch them. They're able to keep um, Strasburg and... Uh, minimize the damage because they do lose Rendon, who maybe is the next best next best third baseman in the game behind Arenado. So that's going to be a big loss for them. They could flip their assets, maybe bring in Josh Donaldson potentially. I don't know how likely that is because the Nationals are kind of they're not strapped for money, but they don't have. I mean, the Bucks, like the Dodgers, the Yankees have, I and mean, really not even the Yankees at this point after signing Garrett Cole. But they're weak. They need to fix the bullpen. Their rotation was essentially two men. It was Strasburg and Scherzer, and then their bullpen consisted of Patrick Corbin and Anibal Sanchez when they when they were on their off days, when they hadn't pitched uh, too recently, and then Daniel Hudson and Sean Doolittle. So they had like a two-man starting rotation when it came down to the postseason, and then like three or four guys out of the bullpen that they could trust. Um, they have to add to their bullpen. I don't know how, how much uh, money they're going to be able to spend, Dylan Patance is still out there as a free agent currently. Josh Hader on the trade market, but I don't know if they have the trade chips uh, for that. I don't know if anyone's going to have the trade chips uh, for Josh Hader, but we'll get to him in just a second. But good on the Nats for you know keeping for limit uh, minimizing the damage and keeping Steven Strasburg in house. Then you have Anthony Rendon going to the Angels. It sounded like it was going to be the Dodgers, the Angels, and the Rangers all in the bidding for uh, Anthony Rendon. And it seemed like for a while, the Dodgers were like the front runner. It seemed like it was, the Dodgers were going to bring in Anthony Rendon. Uh, as it turns out, they don't even offer him a contract, not because they didn't want him, but they got the sense that he didn't want to play in LA. And then he ends up playing in Anaheim, which are two different cities. I get it, but I mean, it's like it's like a 45-minute hour difference with no travel. Okay, it's, there's always traffic, so actually it's like a three and a half hour difference, 
maybe he had a point. But, I mean, he still goes to Southern California, still plays for Anaheim. I don't know how much I, I, I like this move, per se, for the Angels. I mean, Anthony Rendon is a superstar. But, who, I mean, who's going to pitch? I, I don't know who is going to pitch for the Anaheim Angels, whether it's starters or relievers. Shohei Otani will be back as a starter this year. That is great. That is the best news that the Angels could possibly have going into uh, this offseason and then eventually into spring training. They need starting pitchers sorely. I mean, they, they need pitching. And they do have now a three-headed monster in the lineup with Trout, Rendon, and Shohei. But again, they, they need pitching. We just saw the Nationals win the World Series off of starting pitching. I mean, they just they drowned teams. And Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin, Sanchez. I mean, teams had no answer for that four-headed monster. And the Angels have no one in that starting rotation outside of Shohei Otani, though we don't know how well that arm is going to hold up over the course of the season. And potentially, if the Angels go to where they want to be, to the World Series in October. I don't know how long he's going to be able to carry that entire uh, pitching staff. That remains to be seen. And finally, the big, the big one, the, the big fish, Garrett Cole. A Coltrane stops in the Bronx uh, with the Yankees. That one was also Dodgers, Angels, and then uh, except for the uh, Rangers, you had the New York Yankees. Obviously, the Dodgers were right there in terms of money um, with the Yankees. And I think the Yankees, or not I think, the Yankees were willing to give him that ninth year, that extra year to Garrett Cole. It's, I don't know if the Dodgers were unwilling to make that move or just he just wanted to be in pinstripes. And I think that's ultimately what it came down to. I never felt, I never felt that Garrett Cole was going to sign with the Dodgers. I really didn't. I felt like he was going to the Yankees no matter what. And the Dodgers were in the race up until the very end. And, you know, they could have potentially just have been using the Dodgers just to get leverage and squeeze out a little bit more money um, from Brian Cashman and the Yankees. You know, that's how it goes. I'm not going to hate any athlete for trying to get as much money as they can. But he does go to the Yankees. Look, this is... I mean, just outside of him being the best player on the market, this this move is huge because of who he goes to. The Yankees now, I mean, I don't know how you can't say they're the favorites to win the World Series. And I said that last year. I picked them to win the whole thing during uh, during the regular season. But, I mean, if you look at their rotation now, their problem was always starting pitching. Obviously, it was never, it was never the bullpen with the Yankees. And that they might even make it even stronger. And again, at the time of this recording, they have not traded for Josh Hader, but they are um, the heaviest, they're the most heavily involved in Josh Hader. And again, we will get to him in just a second. We keep teasing him. But this is what the Yankees needed to do. They needed a number one ace to take the ball in the postseason. James Paxton pitched rather well. I mean, he pitched uh, pretty good during the postseason, more than pretty good. He was He was great. James Paxton was great during the postseason. Severino had a strange year this year with injuries. I mean, just plagued by injuries. And he's been inconsistent in his postseason career. Um, and then you have postseason Tanaka, who had a good game and then a terrible game. Just inconsistency. But you now move all those guys down one slot. Because you have Garrett Cole now, number one. So now you're talking about Garrett Cole, number one, game one. Then James Paxton, game two. Then Luis Severino, game three. This changes everything. This They're adding them into, or they're putting them into lower leverage scenarios. And again, it's the postseason. There's no, it, there's no games that really don't 
matter. But don't tell me it's uh, higher. Game three is higher leverage than game two. And again, depending on what the series count is. But if you're throwing out Cole and Paxton games one and two with that, I mean, the Bombers lineup, I don't know how, how important game three is going to be for the Yankees, depending on who they're playing in the postseason. And you got to think the Astros are going to be out of the equation because they're and the punishment has still not come out uh, for Houston and, and uh, sign stealing gate. But they're probably going to be out of the equation. I would be shocked if Houston was eligible for the postseason this year and potentially even next year. And again, we don't know what the punishments are going to look like. A.J. Hinch may be without a job. He may be banned from the league. We have no idea what the punishment is going to look like. But in the AL, all of a sudden, in Boston looks like they're going to get ready to sell and blow things up. And again, we will get to them in just a second with Mookie Betts. It looks like it might be wide open for the Yankees in the AL and potentially in the rest of the, in the MLB. The dive, you look across, across the league in the NL, the Dodgers really have not, again, at the time of this recording, made a huge difference, franchise-changing move. They are engaged in talks with Francisco Lindor, but nothing has happened at this point. They signed Blake Trinan. That's not changing the franchise. That does improve a weak spot for them, but I, this doesn't change the franchise. Garrett Cole changes the franchise for the New York Yankees. They, need, they got something that they desperately needed just... I mean, even one superstar starter. And another, another good starter for them is just going to make them even stronger. But they have their ace. They didn't have a bona fide ace on the staff until this point. I mean, the Yankees are making... They, they've, they've made the move of the offseason. And they paid Garrett Cole a whole lot of money. And maybe at some point, when you're looking at the 6th, 7th, 8th year of his contract, you're thinking, wow, this was... Not a good move. The Yankees are strapped. They have no flexibility. What are they going to do with Cole? They're going to have to rebuild. But if they win one to two World Series, I think they will take that trade, especially the Yankees. We're not going to question their ability to build a franchise and rebuild a roster. And again, that's a long time from now. We're 2019 now. This upcoming season will be 2020. You're talking about 2027, 2028? I mean, the Olympics will be in Los Angeles in 2028. That's a long time from now. I, I think the Yankees are going are going to be willing to live with Garrett Cole if potentially maybe he I mean, he's not at this level for all nine years of his contract. They only need him to be good for one year. That's it, really. They only need him to be good for one year. Just win a World Series. And the Yankees have that understanding. It seems like the Dodgers and other teams in the league don't really have that sense of urgency that the Yankees do. They're not afraid to make the big move. And this this seems like not I don't want to say safe, but this was the right move for the Yankees. A move that they had to make. They had to bring in Garrett Cole. There was no other starter that they could sell to their fans and say, "Well, we got this guy. You had to get Garrett Cole. They got him. Kudos to the Yankees and to Garrett Cole for getting that big fat contract. Now it's up to them to get jobs get the job done in October. Now on to the, uh, the players that are still on the trade market. And again, this is very different from free agency. They're, them being on the market means almost nothing because teams could just say, we're taking calls on this guy, and that's it. They're literally just taking calls. They're kind of you know testing the waters, and then really nothing happens. But it is the winter meetings, and all these guys are superstars, and you know it's not going to stop us from, from dreaming. So here we go. We're going to talk about... Uh, Mookie Betts, Francisco Lindor, Josh Hader, Nolan Arenado, all on the trade market. 
Uh, so far to this point, and again, I keep saying this because anything can happen in the blink of an eye. To this point, at the time of this recording, um, none of these guys have been moved yet. And we're going to start with Mookie Betts because the market for him seems like it's been the slowest. You haven't really heard many teams engage on Mookie Betts, which is kind of strange because I feel Mookie Betts is a top three player in baseball. I mean, top not in top three outfielder. I'm top three player. Mookie Betts is a superstar. And you really have not heard... Uh, you haven't heard any rumblings about teams really inquiring about Mookie Betts. I'm sure they have, but no serious talks to this point um, have been engaged on Mookie Betts, which again is, is kind of striking. I think any team could use Mookie Betts. Great power in the bat. One of the best defensive, one of the best fielders in the game. He plays right field in, in Fenway Park, which is essentially a second center field. And, you know, he's... He, the Red Sox are looking like they're going to blow it up, as we said earlier. They have they have pieces that they could be willing to move, like Chris Sale. Though I think Chris Sale is probably going to be a, a deadline guy because people need to see if he's healthy. How is that arm going to ha- uh, hold up over the course of a season? Will he be ready to go um, in October should he be traded, uh, being Chris Sale? So I think Mookie Betts is probably going to be in that category as well. Maybe more talks will be... Uh, initiated uh, in July at the trade deadline. I don't think we're going to be seeing him moved during uh, or before the season starts, rather. Then you have uh, Francisco Lindor, who all we've heard is Dodgers, Dodgers, Dodgers. All the Dodgers are all in uh, on Francisco Lindor. But then you've heard from the Indians. They want Gavin Lux and Dustin May. I think, you know, obviously that's a very steep price to pay. And I'm not going to say we got to protect the prospects, got to protect the prospects. I'm not that guy. I'm, I'm all in on, on big moves. You know, win now. I just said it with the Yankees. They're not worried about what Garrett Cole is going to look like or what the roster is going to look like in five, six years from now. They want to win right now. And we heard from the Dodgers and Andrew Friedman that that was the case. They wanted to win right now. And to this point, at the time of this recording, they have not backed up that sentiment. They have made no move. They brought in Blake Trinan which was a pretty solid signing. I'll give it to him, but that's not flipping the franchise over. Okay, That's not changing the scope uh, of the Dodgers. That's not changing anything. Francisco Lindor would change the Dodgers. However, the reason I don't like this deal is because get ready for this. Nolan Arenado is on the trade uh, market, potentially. And when you're talking about Gavin Lux, Dustin May, that is a very, very steep price to pay. And again, you're getting Francisco Lindor at age 26, and all the money you said you wanted to spend on Rendon and Garrett Cole, you could just give it to Francisco Lindor. And I would not hate that at all. In fact, that'd be a smart investment. If you're losing uh, Gavin Lux and Dustin May, you might as well sign Francisco Lindor and guarantee this was not a rental. This wasn't a waste um, of the number two prospect in baseball. And that's why I think a lot of people are kind of, some of the fans are sort of hesitant on Lindor. Lindor's a superstar, okay? As far as what you're getting in return, you will get back. You will get a return on Francisco Lindor. The only question is, are you going to be willing, or will Andrew Friedman be willing to re-sign him? And this is why I like the Arenado deal better. Arenado, outside of Mike Trout, and maybe not even outside of Mike Trout. Maybe you know you could make a legitimate argument. Uh, Nolan Arenado is the best player in baseball. This guy is an all-timer. I would much rather see the Dodgers use that Lux May deal. Uh, for Arenado and he's already signed a contract 
Um, he does have an opt-out after 2021, but you can arrange with the Rockies for him to remove that opt-out, especially if he goes to a World Series contender like the Dodgers. I think he would be comfortable with that. He gets to move to the West Coast. Much better weather than Colorado, and again, he's playing for a contender. If we're talking number two prospect in baseball, yes, Francisco Lindor is a superstar. Arenado is an all-timer, Hall of Famer, and maybe Lindor is on that track as well, but Nolan Arenado, he's, he's a superstar. And again, you're already in the market for a third baseman with Rendon. We were hearing about them potentially going after Donaldson if they struck out on, on Rendon, which they, they did fantastically. They struck out. Uh, no pun intended, when we're talking about the Dodgers, I would much rather see them go after uh, Renato. And again, the Rockies, like I said to start this this trade talk thing, this could mean nothing. The Rockies could very well be taking calls on Arenado and just testing the waters, and nothing could happen. But I think it would be foolish for the Dodgers if they don't even inquire about Arenado. The Rockies may be hesitant to trade him to the Dodgers because they are division divisional rivals, but you got to think they're getting too prime prospects in return from the Dodgers so you get to flip that back on them in the next year or two Gavin Lux is ready to play now so you get you get a player that's ready to go right now uh Dustin May would be a a nice addition to that starting rotation um in Colorado you get two guys that are prospects but they're ready to play now like they're they're ready to hit the field so and I'm sure it would take a lot more than just a two-for-one for Arenado. But, I mean, I'm sure you would start there at Lux, Dustin May, and then work your way up. If I'm the Dodgers, i make that move in a heartbeat. If the Rockies are saying, yeah, we're willing to start there, and we're willing to work out this deal, i make that move now. I mean, Arenado, I, he's one of my favorite players. Superstar. Fielding the ball, uh, field, playing the field, hitting the ball, he, he does it all. I mean, Arenado is a superstar of the highest order. Now, finally, that leaves... Josh Hader, and as if the Yankees couldn't get weren't scary enough, it uh, it was reported that they are the heaviest involved in the Josh Hader negotiations. If they bring in Josh Hader, you can just liquidate the MLB, just just delete the league, start from scratch, and just make a new baseball league because they're gonna have Aroldis Chapman, they're gonna have Zach Britton, they're gonna have Tommy Canely. Then you add Josh Hader to that. Yes, they lose Dellen Batances, but they add Josh Hader. I mean, this is just—I don't—I can't even come up with a, a, a word to describe how dominant that would look. And then again, you're talking about them already having added Garrett Cole. The Dodgers are all in, or not all in, but they are also engaged in trade talks with Hader as well. Obviously, that deal is not going to command the Lux Dustin May or maybe the Brewers will command Lux Dustin May the Dodgers are not making that move for a reliever despite having four years left to control I don't think I think that would be somewhat unwise for them to give a number two prospect in baseball their top pitching prospect in exchange for granted he is the best reliever in the game I will give him that but that's a pretty steep price but again if you want to win now it may be worth the price if you're the Los Angeles Dodgers uh, I think out of these four guys, I think Hayter falls in between the Mookie Betts and the Francisco Lindors of the world. And what I mean by that is he could be moved. He could not be moved. I don't think Betts will be moved. I think Lindor is most likely to get moved uh, to the Dodgers. And in which case, that would probably eliminate them from the Lindor, or excuse me, from the Hayter sweepstakes. Then you have the Yankees who are they're they're putting all the chips 
they're putting all the chips in. They're, they'll they'll give up anything that it costs to get Josh Hader, and that that almost guarantees they're winning the World Series. Then you got to think, what direction are the Brewers moving in? They get rid of the best reliever in baseball. You still uh, you lose Mike Mustakas. You still have Yelich, who's a superstar. It, I don't understand what direction the Brewers are moving in. And maybe they get a pretty good haul, and they want to build the rest of that team for the next year's come uh, the next year's. In just uh, uh, excuse me, in the next upcoming seasons. But I don't understand. You were just one game away from the World Series just under two years ago, and now you're getting rid of your number one reliever, which was, I mean, the spearhead. This was the strength of the team was the bullpen, and they lose Corey Knebel, they lose Jeremy Jeffress. They kind of overworked Josh Hader because they had to, and now you're looking to flip him. I, I I don't know what kind I don't know what direction Milwaukee is headed in right now. But when you put a guy like Josh Hader on the market, there will be teams inquiring about him for sure. And right now it looks like it is the Dodgers and the Yankees. And again, at the time of this recording, Josh Hader uh, has not been moved. At this point, I I don't think he'll be moved. I don't because I, again, he's the best reliever in baseball. He's the second best player on the Brewers. They're going to command a lot for him. And I don't think teams are going to be willing to part with that much for a reliever. And then when you're talking about Arenado and Lindor, I, I don't think teams are going to be willing to put all their trades in a reliever when they can get a superstar position player like Lindor, Arenado, and potentially even Mookie Betts. So there is your, um, uh, your winter meetings recap. Thus far, the biggest winner, again, for me, is the Yankees. They signed one guy, and it, it changes the franchise. It changes the entire image of the franchise, especially in the situation that they're in now with the Astros probably not going to be around next year or however much longer after that. Um, and then teams like they steal Garrett Cole not only – or they not only add Garrett Cole to their franchise, but they steal him away from the other World Series contender being the Los Angeles Dodgers. So I, for me – it's the Yankees, and it's not even close. They win the winter meetings. Now time for the quote of the week. We do this every single week. At the end of the episode, we find the best quote that I heard throughout the week. We put it at the end of the show. We call it the quote of the week. Here we go. This one's pretty on brand. This one's kind of funny, actually. Considering who it came from, uh, I, I like this a lot. Quote, I hate social media. We get rid of it whenever we can. Who cares if you get 2,000 likes from people you don't even know? Bill Belichick on social media and how much uh, he hates it. He despises social media a whole lot. This is so on. This is like the most Bill Belichick quote ever. I mean, he's never going to have a quote that's more on brand than this. Who thought? I mean, I, I didn't see the press conference. I don't know who asked him. I don't know how this came up in conversation. But did anyone really think that Bill Belichick during his off days was taking picture was taking like food pictures and he was just an Instagram aficionado? <laughs> I mean, this shouldn't even be a surprise that Bill Belichick hates social media. And you could tell he he's telling the truth and he, Bill Belichick says nothing to get attention. That is for sure. You can tell he has never been on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter ever because he says, who cares if you get 2,000 likes from people you don't even know, which is, all, I mean, also very true. 
because especially when you're talking about athletes, they're getting lots of likes from people that they've never met in their lives before. For us common folk, you're getting likes from people that you know, friends, family, acquaintances, lovers, potentially, I don't know, of, you know, in, of any variety. And it's funny, what makes me laugh is that, like Bill Belichick thinks like 2,000 likes is a lot. And I know I sound like turbo Mr. Gen Z right now, but 2,000 likes really isn't even that much. I don't know how many Instagram followers Tom Brady has, but it's in the millions. LeBron James has over 35 million followers. He gets way more than 2,000 likes on, on his photos being Tom Brady and LeBron James. And I'm almost fascinated by this. I almost wish that someone like maybe his agent or like, a member of his family like a grandson a son somebody in his family would force him to get on social media and i would pay money i would give money to see what that account would look like like i want to see like grumpy mirror selfies from bill belichick and the captions just on on the cincinnati i would pay money to see bill belichick's instagram it'd be the greatest thing that's ever happened in sports media but whoever asked this is just a flat-out nincompoop. Because who? It's, Bill Belichick doesn't like the media. Like, the media. He hates answering questions in general. Who thought that he was doing this for leisure? Who honestly thought that Bill Belichick had, a, had like a burner account that he was telling no one about, and it was just pictures of him and Tom Brady eating avocado toast? Like, of course he hates social media. This is the most on-brand thing I have ever seen it. It just kind of, it kind of made me smile because the irony of this whole scenario. You want to know where I got this quote from? ESPN's Instagram account. I saw this quote about him hating social media on social media, and thus the bitter irony that I so desperately crave. I I love this kind of irony. It, it gives me life, quite honestly. Um, that is going to take us to the end of this week's episode. Thanks for stopping by and sticking around. Speaking of social media, you can follow me on Twitter at Stephen Strange underscore all one word. That's Stephen with a V, not with a PH. Um, I just thought I'd throw that in there. Just, you know, add insult to injury. I'm sure it would irritate Bill Belichick that I was shouting my own Twitter out. That would be kind of interesting, too, seeing Bill Belichick's Twitter. I would love to see the subtweets from Bill Belichick towards like Roger Goodell or even Robert Kraft or Tom Brady. We that's it. We got to make we got to make Bill Belichick get on social media. I don't care how much he hates it. It's good that he hates it. It would actually be more entertaining that way. But I'm going to start a campaign, uh, a petition online to get Bill Belichick on Instagram and potentially Twitter. Maybe we'll get the combo deal. Um but with that, that takes us to the end of this episode. Um some good games on this week in the NBA. No college football this week. But just be patient because we do have the New Year's Six coming up. Uh, and then we have a great, great week of games in the NFL. I know you fantasy guys out there that are still alive. Um, I wish you nothing but the best. Good luck, um, you know, and good riddance because, you know, this is the time of year where the freakiest things in fantasy tend to happen at the most crucial time. So good luck, all you brave warriors out there. I've, I've been defeated Many weeks ago, I'm not in the playoffs, so it's kind of. I, if you notice, I've kind of toned down the fantasy talk a little bit. It's it's a little bit uh, depressing for me, upsetting. I gotta wait till next September before we get back into the swing of things. So that's kind of upsetting. But if you guys are still alive, I wish you nothing but the best. Um, good luck in your matchups this week. Um, go get them. Godspeed. Uh, I'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>